cultures may have lots in common. Yet remember, two magnets with the same polarity do not stick together. They say that differences are dangerous, yet seven stripes on the same color will never make a rainbow. Don't be deceived by similarities, but don't focus too much on the differences. Devil is in the details. Same but different series aims to show what national cultures have in common, what makes them different, and how both the similarities and differences influence the way we do business. We need to learn how to read the ear. A yes may actually mean a no. Have frequent check-ins to show it's a high-priority task. When we need something to be done by our Indian teammate, we often resort to escalating it to our manager. They do not reply to our emails. They say they will do it, but there is no result. Never ignore or insult them. Just let them vent. Welcome back to the Same But Different series. Today we have the second episode on the Indian and Chinese cultures. I am Tatiana Hranovaiskaya, Communication and Culture Consultant at SoftServe, and we continue our conversation with you and my colleagues, Hristia Ural and Yulia Zabolotna. Happy to be talking to you again, ladies. Last time we discussed the need in the Indian and Chinese cultures to have structure and hierarchy. This time we'll compare and give you examples of indirect communication or how they save face and deal with conflict. You know, the question that I am asked most often is why they say yes when they are not going, either to agree or commit. Yule, how should we understand the phrases like, I will try, I'll see what I can do. Should we take them as a commitment? Indeed. A yes does not necessarily mean a yes. It may actually mean a no. The meaning might depend on your relations, on the clarity of your request, and its priority. That's a curious observation. And uh, what do you mean by that? Well, the first point I'd like to mention is that to communicate effectively with Indians and Chinese, we need to learn how to read the air. In other words, we need to understand their mood, emotions, and true intentions. I'd say that's a real skill. Uh, the advice that I can give is not to take everything literally. You want to make sure that you get the message the right way. Pay attention to the context of the message, as well as other signs, for example, silence, facial expressions, intonation. A yes may actually mean a no, and such a phrase as uh, we should talk this over probably means a no too. Go the extra mile to clarify the context. Ask open questions, offer multiple alternatives in order to read the real message. Just to give you an example, if a person says, yes, I will help you with the task after working hours. However, I have to be at home this evening because it's a very important day for my family. Probably they want to tell you they can't help you. You just made a great point about using the right questions or using questions the right way. I mean, when we ask a yes-no question, for example, is it feasible to have it complete before Friday? Guess what? The answer we'll get is usually yes. And when we ask, how much time do you think you'll need? Or when do you think it's realistic to have it done? Or when we say, we need it before Friday noon because the testing will start then. What is the risk you cannot complete it before then? 
It will give us more information and it will allow us to understand the intention better. And it brings us back to the value of hierarchy, which translates into what's inspected is respected. Have frequent check-ins to show it's a high priority task. Ask open-ended questions and listen to how the answer is given to understand what the status of the task really is. Yulia previously mentioned that getting a real yes from an Indian or a Chinese would require a couple of factors, and building relationship was among them. Oh, I would agree here. When it comes to these cultures, be generous with your time and invest in building relationships early on. When you gain trust and respect, you will find it much easier to communicate with your Indian or Chinese colleagues later on. Either you will start to hear what is not said, but meant, or, which is most likely, they will become more direct in the conversations with you. But you know, the question we often get when we talk about the necessity of building relations is... How? Exactly. How do we build relationships with them working online, having big team meetings while most people in the team barely say anything? Ladies, what would be your take on that? Well, one thing I can tell for sure is that there is no script for it or an algorithm that would always bring you the same result. I think so too. The same strategy can give you different results because we work with people. And I think realizing that we work with people is key to building relationships. When, for example, we recognize that the person has a different background and we show curiosity to learn more about them, we start building relationships with them. It could be a part of small talk when we ask thoughtful questions like, Rajit, I heard you mentioned the other day in the meeting that you had been to India for a couple of weeks to, to visit your family. How long have you been in the U.S. now? What brought you there? And listen to the response and pick up on something else the person mentions. If they say education, for example, we can continue with, so what was the reason to pursue education in a different country? At which moment did you decide to, to you, you would stay there? The idea would be to show we want to understand what's important for them. Uh-huh. And when we remember we work with people and that they experience all kinds of emotions and we ask about that too, we show that we care. For instance, how do you feel about the new task? Or you seem to be hesitant about it. What's bothering you about the approach? Or... You look thoughtful. Is everything all right? Or you remember small things that people mention and then follow up on them in your other conversations. For example, how are your kids now? Do they feel better? Are they back to kindergarten? I can only imagine how tough it has been for your family for the last two weeks. Also, I was once really touched when my Indian colleague made a comment right before we were ready to finish a call. Now that it's spring, I hope your mom feels better after that surgery and she can get back to the gardening that she loves so much. And I had only mentioned my mom's surgery and that she likes gardening once, half a year, prior to that last call. That's a great example, Yul. But again, back to the question I often get, how do we have small talk and these little conversations when we do not have one-to-ones with every Indian or Chinese peer. 
we meet in big team meetings only. What would you recommend here? The fact that we don't have anything regular scheduled in our calendars doesn't mean that we cannot initiate a quick call for 10-15 minutes. And I think so too. Be the one who writes, can we have a call and I will quickly show you how to do it instead of writing lengthy instructions and explanations? In such quick calls, there will always be a chance for small talk. Well-developed relationships can also help us avoid unnecessary escalations. Oh, for sure. Could you tell us more about it? In our previous podcast episode, we mentioned that hierarchy is of great importance to these cultures, and it is to be respected. So, when we need something to be done by our Indian teammate, we often resort to escalating it to our manager, who will contact their peer, the manager of the Indian team, who will then delegate a task to them, the Indian team. A task which cascades down from a manager has a higher priority than a request that comes from a person of the same level, especially when they already have a lot on their plate. And this is what we often hear. They do not reply to our emails. They say they will do it, but there is no result when the deadline is already there. And the only way to make them react is to copy their manager in our email. And I guess what Yulia wants to say is that if we manage to build rapport with our Indian colleagues, we may avoid that? Yes, Christia, that's right. If you're willing to invest some time and effort into relationship building uh, with your Indian counterpart, it will definitely pay off. Your Indian colleague will be quite responsive and honest with you when it comes to work-related situations. If you are also honest and explain that this task or assistance you need from them is of great importance to you, they will go an extra mile to help you out, despite having a lot of other tasks even. Right, there are two ways to get your request noticed, by escalating or making such requests personal. Escalation always seems to be an easy and quicker way. Yet when a person is willing to do something for you because they care about you, the result will always be of the best quality. I can't agree more. Chinese will be much more responsive if you manage to build rapport with them too. Yet I would like to add that if a person has done you a favor, whether that's work-related or not, you are expected to pay back. Therefore, one should expect to be approached one day with a request from the other party. And make sure you do everything it takes to help them out. Otherwise, that would be extremely difficult to redeem yourself afterwards. Christian, how would you recommend building relationships with Chinese? I'd say staying modest. Avoid showing off, boasting of your achievements. If you are competitive, which is fine, of course, or you come from an openly competitive culture, try not to show it. First impressions do count in China. Remember about small talk? That's a very useful tool to break the ice. Are there any topics that are off-limits with Chinese, Christia? Oh, yes. First of all, avoid criticism. Avoid conversations on politics and disputable territories, religious groups. You can ask them about their culture, though. It's also fine to ask about their well-being. Expect to be asked about personal things, like family. And what would you be talking about with Indians, Yul? 
unlike many cultures where getting personal may be considered a taboo, asking questions about family life is totally appropriate and much appreciated by Indians. They feel absolutely comfortable asking if you're married, who you live with, and things like that. What's more, speaking about their educational and work background gives them a chance to introduce themselves favorably. The thing is, most Indians take a lot of personal pride in their academic and career achievements. So, they see such questions as a sign of true interest in who they are and consider it to be an attempt to build rapport. The only thing to keep in mind here is that we need to be genuinely interested in what we ask about. We show it by giving them the time to answer, demonstrating active listening by making comments, and sharing relevant things from our life. So, when you are just building relationships, select topics wisely. We don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. However, what I often see when the relationship is there, people will discuss different topics, including politics. Another topic which goes hand in hand with the topic of building relationships is conflict. How to prevent it, how to avoid it, how to solve it. Speaking of the Indian culture, I'd say conflict is normally avoided. Indians would rather partially agree with you than try to prove their right around things that do not matter much. Indians are not likely to openly conflict with anyone, but they can and they do sometimes sabotage decisions and tasks if they don't see why it's important and if that decision is coming from someone they like trust in. Does hierarchy come into play here? It sure does. A manager is someone whose authority is never undermined in the presence of other colleagues. If a subordinate disagrees, they would rarely express it explicitly. They would instead agree with what a manager is saying and ask, what do you think about, while making a suggestion, instead of straightforward, I suggest. Speaking of conflicts, I'd say you don't have to expect getting into such situations with the Chinese. They stick to the safe phrase principle most times. It's unlikely they will get into an open confrontation with someone of a higher status, age or position. The best way out of a conflict with a Chinese person is not to get in one. Avoid it at all costs. And yet, Christian, I believe that sometimes conflicts are inevitable. What would you suggest if that's the case? You're right, Julia. Sometimes it's impossible. Besides, one person mentioned that if a Chinese person wants to get into a conflict with you, they will reach their goal by all means. The first and I guess most important thing is to never ignore or insult them. Just let them vent, especially if, if that's your boss or client, meaning a person of power in the situation. I had the chance to interview a person who had worked with Chinese customers. They mentioned quite a surprising thing. When the Chinese customer wasn't happy about something, they would emotionally express it. This might even sound aggressive. Yet, right after that, they would calmly continue the conversation. Giving them a chance to speak out whatever was on their mind at that time was essential. After that, everyone was able to do business the normal way. Let them blow their steam off. Don't let it get to you. Stay calm and you'll nail the conflict. Right. One of the most difficult things in such situations 
is not to take things personally, as most likely they were reacting to the idea or news. In hierarchical cultures, it's important for managers to feel they are in control of the situation, so we might want to avoid surprising them in front of their subordinates. What can we do? Message them before the meeting or have a quick sync up with them before the meeting and let them know what you will be presenting. If there is no chance to do it, then show empathy in the meeting, expecting certain reactions like, you might not like the results, or we have this new idea which we didn't have a chance to share with you yet and would like to know what you think of it. And if there is already that emotional reaction, be a good and empathetic listener. Listen to what people say, not how they do it, and try to continue the dialogue like, I am sorry this disappointed you so much. Would you like me to show how you think we can decrease the number of bugs in the next sprint? By the way, quite often such emotional responses might be a reaction to how we present information. That's right. With Indians, if you want to mention something negative, give corrective feedback, do it in person, with good intentions and in a caring way. Remarks like, it needs improvement, it was wrong, may come across as offensive, especially if it's said in a team meeting. Explaining that you want this person to grow and you're ready to support them is in turn way more productive. Or emphasizing that you care about the product and its success and that you are looking for a way to have different results during a sprint. Well, in China, on the other hand, you're not supposed to give any feedback in public, even if it's positive. One should always remember the safe face principle when talking to Chinese. Feedback should never be direct. Otherwise, you may offend not only the person in question. You can even make the boss lose face if you criticize the subordinate. Therefore, when you want to give any kind of feedback to a Chinese person, approach them individually, ideally in an informal atmosphere, and present your feedback in a suggestive manner. For example, your coding skills are very impressive and I appreciate the dedication you have shown to our project. However, I notice that you tend to work independently and may not communicate as much with the team. Going forward, it would be helpful if you could share your progress more regularly and seek feedback from others. This will help us work more efficiently as a team and ensure that we are aligned on our goals and priorities. Communicating with people from different cultures is like dancing to different music. It's really important to hear the rhythm and adapt your movements. And just as dancing requires time to develop smooth, natural movements, our communication improves with practice and experience too. And as the ability to hear the rhythm is key in dancing, listening is the most important skill in communication with other cultures. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate your interest in the topic. There is more to come. Stay tuned. Oh, 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 oh